Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion. I'm your host, Eddie V. Thank you guys for joining me. Got a super special episode for you guys. Now, this one, in case of anyone has just read the title, we are dealing with depression. And uh, our topic is, can video games actually help depression? Can it help people who are who feel depressed and going through depression? Can it kind of relieve relieve that feeling? And joining me to talk about this for a very educational, very inward look at this subject is my one of my Twitter followers that I follow him back to. He has some of the best gaming t-shirts and I'm like literally jealous because I don't know where he gets them from. But they're so amazing. Everybody, please welcome Tony. Hi, Tony. Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. That's, I'm I'm happy to be here. That's great. Um, well, before we actually get into the subject, can you give us a little bit of your gaming history? Like, how did you get into video games and things of that nature? Okay. Um, going to go way back. When I was about three or four, my parents used to have an Atari 2600 around the house. And what they would do is they would have it hooked up, and I'd play pong or pitfall or kaboom and stuff of that nature and i i took to it pretty well and then i turned about five and they gave me my first nes and it's just been a love from there on wow that's amazing had you done do it did any arcades at any time i have so when i was little uh, i was born in 84 but when I was little, uh, there used to be arcades all over the place. And for better or worse, we don't really have them that much anymore. Seems like if you go to an arcade, you're going to see ticket dispensers now. Uh, yeah, uh, I missed arcades so much. Uh, no time crisis, no nothing like that anymore. Uh, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Listen <to you> boo. <laughs> Well, uh, let's get into the subject. Um, so we're talking about can video games help with depression, but we need to actually break down what depression is. Because like for me, and maybe a lot of people who are listening to the podcast um, or who have kind of have friends who deal with depression, we really don't really understand it. Um, and how people, how it happens to people, like how the symptoms, how they go through it. So basically what depression is, is a state of low mood and aversion to activity that can affect the person's thoughts, behavior, feelings, and a sense of well-being. A depressed mood is a normal temporary reaction to life events, such as loss of a loved one. It's also a symptom of some physical diseases and a side effect of some drugs and medical treatments. Depressed mood is also a symptom of some mood disorders, such as major depressive disorders order and dysythemia. Um, people with a depressed mood may be notably sad, anxious, or empty. They may also feel notably hopeless, helpless, dejected, or worthless. Other systems expressed may include senses of guilt, ir ir irritability, or anger. And then there's like other feelings that goes along with this. Um, Tony, you have experienced depression. You, uh, you know, you go through it sometimes. Can, in your own words, can you give us what depression is? So, in my own words, um, a lot of people may confuse depression and sadness. Sadness is a very normal part of life. Everybody experiences it. Mm -hmm. um, depression is more of an inability to experience joy. 
And it can be due to any single factor to maybe a combination of multiple. It can result from low self-esteem. It can result from uh, stuff in your environment, like maybe you're not receiving enough support. You're in a toxic relationship or an unhealthy relationship. Um, it could come from maybe having a hurtful environment at home where you aren't maybe appreciated. I, I could go on and on. Um that's one of the hard things about talking about depression. You can't get very specific. Everybody's experience of it. Mm-hmm. While there's a con- while there's a connecting vein, we we all experience and navigate it differently. Well, it, it, I know a lot of a lot of my other friends also that deal with depression. Um, they talk about it, and like when you're a person who's not dealing with it, it's kind of hard to. Um, like make somebody feel better. I know some people tell me, well, you know, it's something that I have to go through personally. I'll get over it. Um, you know, I got to do it on my own. And a lot of people who from the outside who look at it just feel like helpless. Like you don't want to see your friend struggle with that. Sometimes, uh, as a friend of somebody who may be going through depression, just being present can help. If somebody wants to talk about what they're going through, it's, it can be helpful to ask, you know, is this something that you want to share? Is this something you feel comfortable talking about? But um, again, kind of drawing the line between sadness and depression, mm-hmm. it like your friends have shared with you. It's not something that we can necessarily cheer ourselves up out of. We kind of just have to ride the waves. And then when the sea of depression calms down, we can be normal and well normal sorry that's very dismissive (laughs) um we can feel maybe balanced again but i know a lot of people uh that we probably interact on twitter that we see um they talk about depression and i think you know it's always been a serious matter um but why why do people who go to depression sometimes you know, push like get to some people get to a point where they need to push people away so they can de- deal it with their own, on, you know, on themselves. And um, it's very weird that people would do that. Uh, I don't know if you ever did that or ever, ever experienced it, but why do you think that's people who deal with depression sometimes push others away? When I was younger, I used to do that as well. I would push friends away. I would isolate myself. And it used to be this idea in my mind that if I can close myself off, it'll allow me the opportunity to focus on what I'm going through. But then it just kind of turns into like heavy rumination. I'm focusing on my symptoms and maybe not a solution because there isn't always a solution. It's, mm-hmm. it's this inner feeling of being out of balance. Imagine if you will, like um, you have a bucket and you're able to hold all your joy in it. Yes. Um, For someone who's living with depression and going through a major depressive episode, it's like there's a hole in that bucket and they're covering it as long as they can and plugging it. But eventually they're going to have to maybe shift hands and then, everything is just going to pour out and it's beyond their control. Uh, well, 
is is depression something that some people they say that it's DNA related, like it, you know, it's something that's passed down sometimes from gener- generation to generation to family. And I don't know if I could can believe that. I think it's to me personally. Sometimes I see it as a mental thing because I think it's a lot of thinking that some people with depression has. Um, and you might not agree with me about that, but, um, do you think it's a DNA kind of from generation to generation, something that's passed down? I do believe that it can be inherited genetically. Uh, speaking from personal experience, I can identify individuals in my family that have similar experiences. It's almost like the takes one to know one old adage. Mm -hmm. And, you start to see the red flags and uh, noticing how other people in my family are going through it. And maybe since they're of like an older generation, they're, they're trying to handle it differently. They don't want to acknowledge it. They maybe not want to talk about it. Uh, It has been difficult for me to find individuals in my family that are, are peers like of my age Mm -hmm. that, that either go through it and they're not performing to not be detected. But long story short, I do believe it can be inherited genetically and it's a chemical imbalance. Okay. So question about the chemical imbalance part, what is the medication for? Because some people do take medication for it and some people don't. Okay, so I am an individual that does not take medication for it. I've gone in and I've spoken with my doctor and um, received the clinical diagnosis of severe depression. Um, I have not sought out treatment yet. And before I continue onward to medications, Mm -hmm. my personal reason is because I try to give a voice to to what it's like and maybe help somebody not feel like they're going through something alone. Um, strength in numbers, if you will. And I feel like if I begin medication, I might lose that voice and I might lose that perspective because I won't be able to tune in on it anymore. And do you think that that medication... Uh will make it make some kind of addiction to it like you like you be so addicted to it that you you feel like you depend you will end up depending on it in a way i don't feel like it's um it can have addictive properties so much as it can have strong withdrawal effects Mm -hmm. um when people are going through depression and then maybe they find themselves in a substance abuse position they they don't seek out the the most medically beneficial stuff to them. They're not going to seek out, like, um, this is a poor example, but like Paxil, and they're not going to go seek out Zoloft or Valium. They're going to go seek out, like, cocaine and marijuana and stuff that may enhance their mood or alter their state. Um, talking about the withdrawal effects... Oh, I fear the withdrawal. I I had a friend who she would take Paxil, and it was by the instruction of her doctor. Um, It helped 
balance her moods out and allow her to function at work. And it blocked out a lot of the anxieties she was feeling. Um, that, that, that ruminating feeling that I mentioned earlier, where you're just so hyper-focused on the symptoms, Mm -hmm. it allowed her to kind of block that out. It just didn't feel like it was a priority anymore. But when she was ready to move on because she felt she didn't need the additional help anymore, that she was in a better state in her life, she was violently vomiting and she had migraines and it was pretty, pretty hectic to watch. And that's just, unfortunately, the unintended side effect. Wow. That's, 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 it's, it's very weird. Um, weird in the fact that, you know, a medicine like medicine that's supposed to help that kind of system. And this applies to any kind of medicine that's supposed to help with sickness or or anything that people are taking it for. Just that withdrawal and the stuff that it, it does to the body, like that's like literally scary. It's a it's a very terrifying thing. It's one of the other reasons that I have not sought out a a prescription for treatment yet. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's an anxiety in itself. It's more, um, the what if like, well, what if, you know, it does help me. And what if it does balance me out? And I kind of feel, um, maybe not carefree, but able to, to handle whatever life brings at me. Um, goodness, where was I going with this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to apologize. I had a long day today. No, that's and, fine. Um, goodness, goodness, goodness. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, okay. Do you think people who who don't take medicine but depend on alcohol to, I guess, to relieve themselves of the depression or if they think that it'll make it go away, um, do you think that is very destructive of them? I believe that that can be very destructive because they're, while it may help alleviate some of the symptoms that they're feeling, especially alcohol, it's um, a common enough thing that many of us have uh, enjoyed and partook in. It takes the edge off. It makes you feel a little more relaxed about things. Mm-hmm. It can maybe eliminate some of those anxieties where you might feel you have to perform in crowds or you you have to flip the on switch so that way you can be social it just makes it a very natural thing and your your ability to converse with others just smoothly comes out but that can that can build into a dependency because that's not what alcohol is for um not that alcohol is really for anything other than enjoyment (laughs) yeah well when it's done in moderation exactly okay because like there are some people who who deal with uh who deal with depression and their first thing to do is drink and mm-hmm. it look and it fear to me it feels like you're running away from it exactly it's it's, it's like a form of escapism yeah and i don't i don't know why people want to run away from it i mean i understand that you know, it's something that nobody don't want, doesn't want to go through. Something that nobody doesn't want to feel. But 
you're I feel like sometimes you're doing more destruction to your body than what that actual depression is doing. Like like you said, you know, it become a, become a dependency and stuff. Like to me sometimes I feel like when people depend on a lot of bit, a lot of times on alcohol to help their depression, well, that's affecting your finances. First of all, that's affecting your social ability with people, with family and friends and stuff. And so all these things that you, that one thing you think is going to work, uh, to help you make you feel good. You don't really see all the cons that comes along with it. Yeah, I think the reason people might go for alcohol or marijuana is it's just such a readily, easily available thing. Mm -hmm. Once you start having those conversations with other people, you start talking to your friends like, man, I really wish that I could just get drunk or I could get high. So that way I don't have to think about what's on my mind. Well, this metaphorical friend would just help you get to that point as opposed to... um, (laughs) <laughs> write you a prescription for something <laughs> that might help you out. Um, and that's one of the other things about medication. They're not supposed to be habit forming. It's, it should feel no different than taking a daily vitamin. You take it, you may not feel the effects of having um, your vitamin intake increased, but over time you start to feel a difference. Maybe you're sleeping better. Maybe you have more energy because hmm. I, I wonder when depression hits I know a lot of people say it can hit at any time like any time during the day any time during the night why do you think that most people who who deal with depression feel feel like what is what is that one thing you think depression does when something gets triggered like you see an ex-friend or ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or um maybe you see a a animal or something that you love but something happened in the past like what what is it that one thing that triggers depression for a lot of people oh man i i can only speak to my own experiences on this there are there are moments in my life where i felt um like a deep emotional uh, reaction to some kind of stimuli, whether it's um, somebody I had a bad relationship with, or it's the supervisor that uh, maybe treated me unfairly in the past. Um, Those would be more just emotional responses, but depending on what happened within those specific situations, like, uh, we'll just go with the, the, the poor supervisor. (laughs) Um, maybe, maybe this specific individual, like, uh, they have some kind of post-traumatic stress because this person like either embarrassed them or maybe you like, (laughs) may I share a story? (laughs) Okay. So, in my past, this supervisor that I've been alluding to was um, not very supportive, did not have my my best, uh, my growth in mind, did not want to develop me as an employee. Mm-hmm. 
And to this day, I still don't know what, why he had it out for me, so to speak, but would take it, would take times over and over and over again to humiliate me in front of my other coworkers, try and make me feel like I was stupid. And I've, I was more than capable, but I never had like the confidence or the courage to speak up and just be like, you need to stop. You need to seek out training for how you were addressing your employees. And it escalated to the point where uh, I reached a point where I didn't want to come into work. And I sunk into a depressive episode during this. I just, I endured a lot during those 10 months there, 11. Um, so I, I said, you know, I'm having car problems this morning. I had never called in with car problems before. And I always reported to work and said, you know, I'm not able to make it today. Um, uh, I've talked to my grandparents. I've talked to my neighbors. I, I can't get a ride. And this supervisor said, I'm going to call you back in a minute. And then he maybe two minutes later calls me back and says, you know what? I don't believe you. I, I think that you're just trying to play hooky and you have one of two choices. I can fire you right now or you have two weeks to quit. And I'm like, so that it started to send me into a very hopeless situation. I'm like, I'm trying to handle this as best I can, <clears throat> as best I can. But, um, moving far in the future beyond this, anytime that I ran into him because I banked with this bank um, that I, that my supervisor worked at, I would just internally freak out. I would want to like go in the bank. I'd see him and I'd want to just go back out. And so there was that, that trauma right there. Sometimes the trauma can lead you into a, maybe not lead you into a depressive episode but get you in that headspace where you start maybe focusing on your symptoms again. Like, what am I going through? Why, why do I feel this way? It's a lot of questions uh, that you kind of ask yourself. It's a major internal uh, interrogation and you're interrogating yourself. It's heavy insecurity and low self-esteem and, um, in in some cases, I believe that you know it can also be a result of like post traumatic stress disorder. What uh, what do you think that with like when you're asking yourself these questions, um, do you feel like every time you you ask it, it feels like a new question, almost even though like some questions that you might ask yourself, you answer a million times over, but because you're in that state, it just feels like a new question. Sometimes I feel like the questions never had a solution in the first place, and I'm still just trying to desperately seek it out. And maybe the frame of mind that I'm in as I'm asking myself these things, like, why why am I in this situation again? How can I just avoid this in the future? You might just dead end with the same answers over and over because... Um, maybe you're not getting outside input that could help show you another way, whether that comes from a friend, a family member, uh, your significant other, or a medical professional. And see, I see that part. I, I, 
I, one of my friends uh, has some kind of form of depression sometimes. Man, he he really expresses depression when he's drunk, um, and it feels like every time I tell him something and you know try to make it very positive, it just feels like it goes in one ear and out the other. And I don't know if it's because of he's in his drunk state or my answers don't my answers don't satisfy him. He has to make his own answers to satisfy him. A lot of the times that's what it can feel like. You're let's say you're in a depressed state because you are um maybe stressed out from being heavily in debt. You could have your friends and your family and everyone bail you out and you could be debt free, but there is still going to be a weight inside that never got addressed. So it isn't always like the outside stimuli. There's, there's, there's an internal component, which circling back to earlier, um, it's, it's this imbalance that can't be restored properly. We, we do our best to be supportive to our friends and our loved ones, but we can't always save them. Uh, I know one of my biggest fears that I, that I told this friend is about suicide. And I know for, for some people, that's the first thing they kind of almost think of when it comes to depression, that, if they ended all, it would solve everything. And I told them personally, I'm like, that's my biggest fear of, of you. It's just like, I don't never want you to get into that mind frame. Um, how do you feel about that? Like, isn't, is that like one of the most, the most scariest things? It is a very scary headspace to be in. In my younger years, I felt that I had strong uh, suicidal urges and thoughts. But as I've gotten older, um, I, my environment has changed. I, I have healthier relationships. I, I still live with depression, but I no longer get into that space personally. I've had two different friends who, who dealt with their own suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. One of them uh, it was more a matter of uh, environmental. So he was not able to get the support that he needed at home. Um, relationships were poor with his family. But I would reach out to him and be like, you need to seek someone out for this. Like, you should talk to a doctor. You don't have to commit to anything. Because sometimes people who are living with this, they feel like um, an admission of what they're going through as true is almost like, defeat like like they're throwing in the towel per se even though that's not the case they're seeking out help to get to a better place and after a lot of difficult conversations and a lot of self-harm on this friend's part he is in a much better place and doing healthy i, I oh go ahead oh no, uh, go ahead. i i have another friend who it the story goes the polar opposite. He, he had good relationships, um, but he wasn't getting the help that he needed to, 
to keep him in balance. He was seeking out medication and he was seeing his doctor and um, speaking with medical professionals to get himself to a better place. But one of the elements wasn't, wasn't as strong as it could be maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and he and his girlfriend had a big fight one day and she, she left and he was heartbroken. He never told me the entirety of the conversation. Just that um, I think I've done it. I don't think that there's any coming back from this. I I can't fix this situation anymore. And this is the person I told all my secrets to. This is the one person who knew me. And I said, you know what? We, it just sounds like you need somebody. I can't help fix everything, but let me come over. We'll go to lunch and we'll just spend time together. I just don't want you to be alone right now. And he agreed to it. He agreed to it. Yay. Food. Well, I, don't know. I don't know. Food sometimes like having food and discussions. I feel like that kind of almost solves things. Like it just, it just alleviates, you know, that pressure or, you know, being hurt out like it just makes you feel a little bit better um because it is a it, it just shows you that somebody cares and that's what i wanted him to know that that i did care about him that he he had an important part in my life and he didn't have to feel like he was alone sure i'm very aware that i'm not going to be able to take the place or fill the place that his girlfriend once had in his life Mm-hmm. And maybe nobody will be able to do that. New relationships will come along and they will be possibly greater, but different. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, this friend, I was not able to help in time. I was not able to get to him in time. Oh, no. It was <laughs> it was traumatic, to say the least. I've I've been very open on Twitter sharing about my friend. Wayne and it's been a it's been difficult these past four years trying to not quite move past but still understand it yeah um the friend that I was talking to you about uh one of his friends uh died from suicide and uh, I don't know if it was if it was from depression or what but uh like he he my uh, my dad friend he just didn't want to be bothered with nobody like he he wanted to take time for himself to think about it and i i literally told him i'm just like call me show up to my house unexpected do something to get in touch with me because that's one thing that i told that i i'm like i know you need to grieve but I don't want your grieving to get a, into a depression and stuff like that. Because it's, it's sometimes it's hard when someone passes away and dies from suicide that you're close with or you know. And you got to go through that grieving process. But to actually have depression and grieving, like, that's that's hard. That sounds like a very low, difficult position to be in. Um, gosh, to be going through the stages of loss and maybe, um, being in a heavy depressed episode, you, what's the, 
the the philosophy that there's five stages to grieving. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in a heavy depressed episode, you might get stuck in one of those stages before you ever get to acceptance. Um, maybe not, uh, not denial, but oh gosh, I wish I, I used to know these off the top of my head. Are you familiar with them? Are you familiar with the five stages? I heard, I heard of them, but I didn't, didn't recognize them. Cause when it got, um, What's up? When it comes to grieving and funerals and stuff like that, I don't cry at them. Like I, I cried at my dad's funeral because, of course, that's my dad. But I'm, but I didn't get to the set this up, uh, set this apart till I actually um, had to. I had to actually ask somebody this question. Um, with me and my dad, we had our ups and downs and stuff, and I've and our we had a big fight last time, and I never got to say I'm sorry, and he ended up passing away um uh, without me saying I'm sorry, and so i've I dealt with that like i I didn't think about it. But when I brought that question up, I was just, I, that's how, uh, when I got the answer, that's how I got to acceptance. Um, I didn't have to have denial because it's my dad. He passed away. I knew he was sick. We all die. Um, other, other stages and stuff, I, I probably didn't fall into, like, I don't know, like, I left, when my dad passed away, I literally left work, got home, and, which is like okay, I have to be strong for the family, like for my mom, for my sister, for my brother and stuff, because you know they're probably gonna be the ones to take it the hardest. Me, I'm just like I just need to stay strong and stuff, and I did. I I kind of stay strong uh, in case of anything happens. Um, but getting to that sentence part was like I needed that answer to that question, and I've and I've never thought bad of my dad. I think when I was, when we had that fight and I was angry and I was mad and upset, I was in that state of mind of being upset and not really hating him because I love my dad. Um, but just not being able to say, I'm sorry. Um, kind of made me feel, uh, kind of just made me feel bad. And I kind of wish that I said, I'm sorry. And, um, yeah, when they said that it's okay, uh, I'm like it's it's too late. But you know, you did everything, uh, you did everything, uh, and you just now have to move forward. You know, it's not going to be always every time you hurt somebody, um, and they pass away, you don't get to say sorry. It's not always going to be uh, that that apology like you're not always going to get there to apologize you know people just die that's that's part of life and even if something happens and you had a big fight you know maybe sometime down the line you'll recognize that you know you have to forgive yourself and stuff and and that's what and that's what i had to do um because I've never dealt with depression. I like I said, I have friends that dealt with it, and I. It's kind of weird because I don't know how to, 
how to react. And I used to t- talk to one of my other friends who was on oh, medication, and I told him, "Are you on your? Did you take your medication?" He said, "No," and I didn't get on him, but he felt like I was punishing him because he was depressed without him being on his meds. So I'm like, "Okay," I'm like, "Is." Is there still time to take your your meds? He's like, no, I just don't want to take them anymore. And I'm just like, well, you got to take your meds because you're having your mood swings and stuff. And um, I don't want nothing bad happening to you and things like that. And I still talk to him and stuff, but it's just it's kind of scary at times. Um, how how do you mean for scary like? Like maybe your friend may slip into an unpredictable state. Yeah. And it's, it's scary to me because I tell my this friend, like you have so much to offer and you don't, you sometimes don't see the potential and you know, you know, as an adult, you need to be more, a little bit more responsible. You need to take your medication because when you're not on your meds, you fall into that depressive state. You act out. And someone might get hurt physically and or mentally. And my thing is, if I happen to come visit or be around and that happens, I might have to end the friendship because I don't know, I don't know how to handle you as a person. I get what you mean. Um, yeah, if somebody gets unpredictable and maybe they lash out, they're going to cross that boundary line. And if you have decided what that boundary line is and that ends the friendship, that, yeah, I, <laughs> I have been there so many times. And, and, and it's scary because ending a, ending a good friendship because of depression like that, I think that's hard on both sides, on both people. I feel like um, when we try to take care of our friends and look out for them mm-hmm. um, out of compassion and just the strength of our relationships, uh, sometimes we may take on uh, not necessarily like a parental role, but almost like a caregiver role. It's like when you lash out or when you have these mood swings you're not aware of them and this is um well this happened if this then that um sometimes what can help is still putting yourself in a position of maybe giving care and support wording ourselves um in a manner that opens the dialogue so instead of um like you were saying, you would let them know, have you taken your medication? Um, because when you don't, this this is what's going to happen inevitably. It's like, help me understand why you're making the choice to not do this. Like, it, you're not only opening the dialogue, but you're giving the opportunity to let them give you a glimpse of what their personal way of navigating this is. Um, a common thing that I've heard people say when they say, I'm going to stop taking my medication is in their words, I want to feel normal, which is the way that they knew how to navigate life all the time. 
on medication. Things feel weird. It's not their equilibrium. They're, it's not, even though it's the new normal for them, mm-hmm. having that balanced um, mentality, that balanced mental state is not the normal. It's it's different. It's frightening. It's awkward. So, yeah, it's it's good to ask, you know, why aren't you taking your medication? Oh, because I don't want to. Well, it, is there some way I can help you understand the benefits to this? Is there another way that you would like to get to a better state of mental health? How can I be of help to you? And it's just, it might seem like you're playing 20 questions or 30 or 40, but sometimes when you engage someone else in a question, it gets them to question what they're doing as opposed to just receiving advice. It's all, it's all coming from the same good place inside, but it's different lanes on the same highway. I like that. I like Thank that. You. <laughs> I like that. I had to keep that in mind because uh, we we haven't talked in a while because he ended up moving to another state and we just like end up losing contact. But um, I I do want to check into. I do want to check up, uh, catch up with him, and and just see how he's doing and and let him know that I'm like my friendship for you has never gone away. I'm like it's always been there. I know. Probably when he probably when he stopped taking this mess and you know he stopped posting on Facebook and he stopped being around and everything, I think he was just taking time for himself to deal with things. Because I'm I'm like, maybe people don't want to know your depression business, meaning that um, you just put everything out there. It's exactly it. Not everybody is comfortable putting themselves in that vulnerable position because even though we may have the courage to just bring it out and tell everybody, this mm-hmm. is what I'm going through, there's that that tiny anxiety in the back of our minds. No matter what it is, who we are, what we're going through, how are they going to respond to what I'm telling them? And if you can't, predict it or maybe have the courage to overcome trying to predict it Mm -hmm. and count on the strength of your friendship. If you can't get yourself into that more positive mindset, it's going to hold you back and you're going to want to withdraw and you're going to want to cut yourself off. And, um, uh, an analogy that I like to use for depression is you're, you're sailing on the sea and the waves are high, the the waves are high and wild. We all know that that is not a permanent state of the ocean or seas and they do calm down. Sometimes we just want to brave the waters on our own until they balance out and then welcome people back in because that is a violent environment to be in a very harmful environment. Wow. Well, let me ask you this question. Now, this one might just be a little bit, a little bit like really. Um, some people sometimes fake depression for attention. And I don't know if you ever recognize that. Like, 
they do it because they need that attention and they use uh i guess fake depression you can't really you can't fake depression it's a real thing you you just can't fake it but some people want to fake it so they can have the attention because they like the spotlight being on them uh what do you have to say about that i don't know if anyone if anyone has said that to you or have you ever saw anyone experience that? I haven't personally encountered anybody trying to to falsely go through depression um, to to maybe act it out so that way they can receive something in return. Uh, I circle back to this often. You know, there's that hard line between depression and then sadness. Mm-hmm. The people that might be acting out to to have some other one of their personal needs met that they feel they can only get by acting out this way. It, 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 I think it comes more from trying to perform and act out sadness. So that way it's like, Oh, I'm in this mental place because I don't have blah. It's like, because I feel like nobody's around. Maybe somebody wants company all the time and so they're trying to lead you on to saying i'm always alone i'm so lonely the, i feel like the the faking of depression is faking sadness rather ah. but i've i've heard stories from so many friends of oh i have this one friend i don't understand what they're going through but i feel like they're not being genuine with me it's like you said it seems like they're pretending to be depressed or sad they're they're trying to get some kind of attention need met or um some other need that chances are somebody acting like that isn't going to put themselves in a vulnerable state and confess why they're doing this in the first place i i think i i would probably be livid i'd be like why all this drama you're not getting an academy award if you, <laughs> like all you have to do is just call and talk to me like, I don't know. It's just like, what is this thing about attention with some people? Like, why do they need all the attention, the spotlight on them? And, and to and to go far, to, like you said, fake sad, sadness. Like, why you have to even go that far? I think when we look outside of ourselves and we observe the world, we see how uh, our fellow, our fellow man and our fellow woman respond and our fellow non-binary, um, respond to someone being sad. And we, we observe and we try and absorb this and maybe people who don't have, um, the emotional maturity or the tools to get to a, uh, emotionally mature state. They try and see that it's an easy way out mm-hmm. of having to do something else. Um, Maybe they don't like the feeling of being alone, so they they maybe exaggerate what they're feeling when they're alone. Okay. You, you, oh, okay. Uh, what what are some examples of what you've encountered? Um, I have seen some people literally like like cry and sometimes like starve themselves to get attention. Like, literally to be like, oh, I'm, you know, um, 
people don't love me because they won't come over. So, you know, they won't eat. That person might not eat. Or they'll uh, just go on a rant about stuff. And I'm just like, okay, you did this last time to get people to feel compassion for you. To people to be on your side or, you know, to come around you and stuff. And when you kind of see it, it becomes as a habit and you kind of see it done like almost over and over like like two times a week you just be like okay now you're doing it too much you're pushing it too far now now i know good and well you're not faking it because i mean not faking it i'm that you're faking it because when you were in that sadness state and you did all that crying the folks that didn't matter to you um they're the ones that can't come to your side but then you get some you get what you need to get and it's partying all night long with the friends that you think that care about you, but really don't, um, you want to be around. And every time you need company, you're going back to that fake sadness thing. You're going back online and you're posting your whole story, your life story. And it's just like, okay, you posted your whole life story last time. You changed a little bit things are here and there, but, you're not depressed. You're not sad. You just want some attention. Goodness. And it's and it 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 got to me. And I was just and I had one person like this girl. I literally had to address. And I was just like, okay, you're not about to be putting your life story out here, knowing good and well. You just spent. $250 with a whole bunch of people that you didn't care about. Now you're on here crying that you broke and they're going to come and take uh, take stuff away and you're not able to feed your kids and you know, you're just in a depressed state. You don't know how, what you're going to do, how you're going to live and stuff. And I'm just like but you just spent $250 on your friends well, I mean, with your friends and you did that two weeks ago and now you're in the same place that you did this. And it's just like, come on now. It almost sounds like, um, I'm trying to find a similar thing to compare it to. It's almost like crying wolf. Yeah. Maybe they're not in the, the heavy depressed episode. They're acting it out because they know it's going to get them the result that they're looking for. And like you said earlier, you, you're, trying to see all these friends that you don't normally see they're treating friends, not as people, but they're seeing them as options and, and maybe objects to fulfill certain needs. Um, that's why I always try and open the, the dialogue with somebody, especially depending on the strength of the relationship. If this is somebody you've known a long time, a short time, not some stranger on the street, um, going back to asking them questions, it's like, Oh, it takes a lot of inner strength to not get to that place of why are you doing this? (laughs) You do this all the time. Um, It's more of I try and reel it back in and like help. I use those three words all the time, whether it's for work or it's a personal relationship. Help me understand. Like you, you went out and you spent this 250. You are not feeling like yourself you're kind of asking something of me 
what is it that I can do or what is it that I can help you do to not get to this place in the future? And even though it won't be a depressed episode, because maybe you're seeing the red flags of the same unhealthy patterns over and over, Mm -hmm. um, I'll still try and take it as serious and as emotionally mature, not revealing what I, what I strongly believe in the situation but just trying to ask them and lead them to the result without telling them the just the flat out truth of it all. No, like, let me lead you to it so you can have the realization. <laughs> I'll tell them the flat out truth. I will let them have it. Look, <laughs> child, you're doing too much. Stop it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, have be, I have to be honest sometimes. A little bit too honest. But, um, Honesty helps. Yes, um, there's just, there's a lot of people <laughs> sometimes, whether you're giving them the honest is all hell truth or not, um, they won't learn until they reach that thought and that conclusion on their own. And then they'll have that moment. Oh, this is why everybody's fed up with me. But, but see, Especially, so- but I think people would get to that point where there's no more interaction. Like when people literally cut you off and don't even deal with you, then that act can't be played no more. Like you can't act that out no more. Um, while, while that is the desired result that you cut them off from their resources, mm-hmm. somebody who is acting out to, as if they are living with depression if they have these unhealthy habits already where they're trying to pull people in to fulfill their needs, it's possible that they may just engage in tactics to find new people. I've seen people who you can passive aggressively address it, or you can bluntly tell them, this is what's wrong. This is what you're doing. This is how it's harming me and everybody else. And they may cut themselves off especially if you see them on social media, they might deflect and say, well, this is just me. I don't know why everybody's being this way to me. And even though we've cut ourselves off from that person, they didn't get to um, a state where they can grow to, to move away from feeling like they have to act out these emotions to get what they need. Uh, I know um, one game that I feel like that deals with depression um it's called heavy rain. Um, I actually talked to talked about this with uh, a friend of mine and we actually talked about the reason why we talked about heavy rain was, um, him being a dad and with like Ethan Morris in this game, he loses his kid and it just sort of all, he just goes, gets into this like depressive state and like all these other symptoms and stuff help, um, happen to him. And I talked to him about, like, I know you haven't lost a kid, but what would happen if you would lost a kid? And being as a parent playing a game like this, like, how would you feel? Um, and I don't know if you ever played any games that dealt with depression and stuff. Like, um, do you think, do you think in the video game industry that they'll get to that point dealing with it? I know Hellblade, um, is it kind of deals a little bit with it, but I think that's more mostly dealing with uh, schizophrenia. 
I sure hope that the the video game and entertainment well the video game industry the entertainment industry is kind of there we have films that deal with it a little more head on um, I feel like video game storytelling we're not quite there but I feel like we're on the path to getting there um, games nowadays are more prone and more frequently engaging in stuff or engaging in discussing topics such as that might put us in an uncomfortable place because we won't encounter this in our daily lives. Like in, like in heavy rain, uh, I've only played through the opening and then when they fast forward to, to him at his apartment, I think it was like a nighttime scene, but I, I experienced the part of the game where you have that trauma, where you're searching for your son desperately in that mall and then the 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 pivotal moment where there is no going back anymore. And you could see just in minutes the caring put together dad, all of a sudden it just no longer has it together. He can't get himself to be that person anymore. Until and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, something happens to the other son and then that's where the the game carries the rest of the story. Yeah, he gets kidnapped. He um, they go to a park and he gets kidnapped, uh, by the origami killer. That's right. And I this is one of those ones that's on my backlog that I've been wanting to get through. And oh. you sharing this with me right now, it's it's giving me more motivation. Oh, Tony, and kind of excitement to get through it. Tony, you have got to get. You have to. You have to play because. I I think you, I think you will enjoy what the gang is going to put you through, and you kind of will understand why you're going through this stuff. Like, and I I I know for me, that's why I feel like Heavy Rain has deals more with depression and just just have something like just some kind of emotion to it like it really does it to the player over like the last of us i feel like the last of us like with that first 15 part with uh i don't know if you played the last of us or started or anything um, i got a couple hours into it so uh, I, I i think i know where you're leading to with the girl getting killed like that part right there it i i feel like because they cut through stuff um so they could like like the setup wasn't there to make me be like, okay, this, like, okay, now I know why Joel is this way. Because even with the girl getting shot, I'm like, that bullet should have went through Joel also. Like, it was, it's like illogical to start coming to my mind. I was just like, yeah, this get, this just took me out of it. I can't. Like, like, I never thought about that. He was carrying her, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, depending on... I'm going to get super over analytical with this, depending on the kind oh, of gun and the ammunition. It. It's possible it. that it that it might have broken apart inside of her. Um, I'm not that observant or educated when it comes to firearms at all. So, for all we know, that the, the uh, what is it, Naughty Dog? Yes. They might have put the the realistic element and shown you what gun, what bullet, yada yada. But now that I'm thinking about it. Depending on how big that gun was, yeah, it should have hit Joel as well. But instead, he lost his daughter. Right, because like they both fail, and when you see it, I don't even think they even show like the bullet hole where the blood is coming out. I don't even think they show anything. They just show her like looking with her eyes open, and it's just like, oh, 
I don't know. There, there was something about the whole set of that was just like this, this just dumb party where I felt like with like heavy rain, you know, you're interacting with each kid, like playing the games and doing the quick time events. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot there setting everything up. So you kind of give, get a connection. And if you read and seen previews and know what the game is about, um, for its premise, Seen in action, it's just like, oh, this is for parents. Like, they're going there. But I'm like, parents who play this will be terrified. <laughs> I believe it. I have heard many a similar thing about this, that it is not something to go through or to go into if you might not be emotionally prepared for that kind of a, a narrative. Yes. Um, another one I was thinking of was Final Fantasy VII. Don't know if you played it. I have. Okay. So yeah, I, I, you probably know where I'm going with this one. Um, after Aerith gets killed, does Cloud go into a, a depressive state? Or... I think. Um, hmm. Or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, no, no. Or... You, you're fine. Um, I feel like he had. Um, a major emotionally impactful experience that a, I gosh, going back, I had a really hard time with the translation games in 1997 were not where they are today, where <laughs> not only is something getting translated, cause you can put anything through Google translate today yeah. and it won't make sense. You've got to localize, you got to make it sound like the language that you're trying to put it into. There was a lot of things in seven that didn't quite have it. So, I can't explicitly recall if Cloud um, was even going through like the the five stages of grieving. Like I feel like he was kind of there. He's like, guys, we need to we need to go on. But then his own personal issues that have stemmed from the beginning of the game with him and his history with Zach that got brought to the forefront of who he is because it his his loss of Aerith brought all these emotions to the surface and now he was in a vulnerable state. Well, now everything else can come to the surface. And to this day, I still don't know the name for what kind of disorder or state Cloud descended into when he started to take on Zack's persona. But that, I feel like that was the driving force behind Cloud, even though Yes, he lost Aerith. Or Aerith. Um, are we still debating about that nowadays? Some Aerith versus are. Aerith. Some people are. <laughs> it don't matter. To, it don't matter to me. Uh, was it Aerith in the? How in did the it original even? Original translation. It was Aerith, and I think when Kingdom Hearts came out, we got Aerith with the th. Okay. And and then we started running with that, and I I think the explanation was always her name was supposed to be a combination of air and earth. Wow, it's an actually interesting story. Uh, I think uh, Mizug- not Mizuguchi, um, Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi. Yeah, I think he was talking about how that part of what fe- well they were trying to drive some kind of emotional impact, and so they was trying to find out what character they could kill off, and uh, I think was is it Yuri, Yuffie. Yeffy. 
I think they was gonna kill her off, but oh decided to go with Eris. Oh, Eris. Man, I I had never heard about that. That would have delivered a different kind of emotional result. Maybe one that we're not good, that we wouldn't have talked about for so many years. What are we at? Twenty years? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I need to do a Final Fantasy VII recap. I need to play. I need to buy it on PS4. I need to play that version. Um, I hear that it's pretty cleaned up, but um, the the pre rendered backgrounds still kind of look like they're from their time. But the <laughs> the the characters are super cleaned up, so you should be fine on that front. Yeah, I I think they say it was the mobile game version for it. Oh, that makes sense. It would be easier to port, right? Yeah, because I have it on my PS3. Um, but I'm just like, no, let me get that. Because I think there's like a turbo mode to speed up the battles. <laughs> I was just like, I love turbo in, in RBGs. <laughs> oh, goodness, the grind. Sometimes it takes so long. I'm like, oh. I got the PS4 version of Final Fantasy IX, and they had the fast-forward effect in there. Oh, my gosh. It makes it so easy to get through now. I feel like it's not dragging as much because you have the load times for the battle, and then people are not moving as fast as they would in games nowadays. Can I tell you that I love you, and will you marry me? Is it because I brought up Final Fantasy IX? I love Final Fantasy IX. Well, actually, I I just love you in general. Cause you're just amazing, um, and and that's why when you. you like that's like when literally when you feeling down and stuff, I always put like, dude, you're awesome, you're excellent. I like, I love you, marry me, and all of this stuff. I love Final Fantasy <laughs> Night. That ye- Vivi is Vivi breaks my heart every time he goes to that village, and all the other black mages are like beating him up, and he feels. Like, he's getting bullied and stuff. And see, I never finished Final Fantasy IX. I need to finish that game. Uh, but Vivi gets my heart. Like, he became one of my favorite characters. Because what he went through at that time was what I was going through at that time. And it has always stuck with me and resonated with me. And every time I just see him in the game, he's, like, fixing his hat or moving his drawers. Or he just falls down. <laughs> I was just like, I love this character. Like, out of all the characters in the Final Fantasy series, Vivi is number one. And Orin is number two. I love Orin. I'm glad that you brought that up, saying that you saw Vivi going through um, something similar to what you were going through in life. I feel like that's really important to do in games, especially for people who may be going through some kind of traumatic event in their life. It could be a breakup or they lost somebody in their life. Or maybe they are living with depression, which, again, we don't have games that are quite all the way there yet. But showing your audience what um, it's something that may make them uncomfortable or showing them something to acknowledge what many of them may be going through is important. It gives you that feeling of not only am I not alone, but somebody understands what this is like well enough to be able to depict it exactly like this. Like somebody gets it and it, it resonates with you. It stays with you and it can, it can help not only change you for the better, but um, change your perception on things. So 
Uh, oh, go ahead. You got oh, more. I was going to say, I'm, I was just going to circle back. Like, I'm really glad to hear that, that that scene, even though it's not the happiest of scenes, that it really stuck with you and it meant something personal to you. Yeah, because it was, it, it was just like, I have never experienced that in a game that they make a character, like, showcase being bullied. You know, if, if someone picked on a character, you end up getting a timer and end up just fighting them. Like, like, like there's no kind of no story behind it. There's no kind of connection. It's just like press A or B as quick as you can and survive. You be the first one to keep your energy and get them to zero within the time limit and you win the, you win the stage and you move on. Like, like there's nothing there where just seeing that cutscene and just seeing them all just beat up on them. It's just like, this is what, this is a, a good example of bullying in a video game. This is what, how it feels when people get picked on. And not many people in the video game industry, definitely here in America, don't focus on that. No, here in America, I feel like our stories, while they they can be memorable, they can make us feel conflicted about how they resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at you, Mass Effect. Hold on, <laughs> uh, I, which one? <laughs> oh, I was going to say three, because people are as conflicted about that as they are about the series finale to the TV show Lost. Everybody's divided down the middle. That controversy was some nonsense. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, y'all know Shepard was going to die, I, and I thought that was a good way to end Mass Effect. I'm like, you could always go back and play all three and experience this, the game in a whole different light. But I don't know. Maybe part of it was just the fact that they spent so much time with him and these other people that they just felt so attached and. Because you get to make the choices in your dialogue and you it, it becomes a personal part of your own experience, mm-hmm. you you insert yourself in. And yes, you're playing a character, but they almost become like your avatar and this is your story. Maybe that's why people seem to have uh, found themselves getting so upset about how it ended. Because maybe they had a happier ending in mind or countless other possibilities i just thought it was i thought it was just crazy i'm just like really it's just an end to a video game and then what they <laughs> added on really still didn't resolve nothing i'm just like this is the extra cutscene. <laughs> so uh, well w- when you feel depressed uh tony is there any kind of game that makes you feel better or is there like a comfort game almost like comfort food. Is there like a comfort game for you? I have a couple. I tend to gravitate toward Rez a lot. Really? Um, yeah. Rez, Rez is big to me. Even though narratively there's not a whole lot going on and it's more um, the visuals and the sound and the gameplay of itself. Yes. It's just something that can totally engage me and when I may be going through a, a, a depressive episode... I I remind myself when I'm engaging it, I'm like, this is this is more along the lines of escapism. It's not gonna make what I'm going through any easier, but it takes it'll take the weight off my shoulders for a little while 
and then when I'm done playing, because I've enjoyed myself um, with a familiar journey, because I I can't even tell you how many times that I've played through that game. Oh, but uh, I have you played it before? I have you. I never played Rest, and I I wanted to play it on Sega Saturn. I think, I think the, the the first release was on the Dreamcast, but we didn't get it here in the U.S. We got it first on the PS2. Okay. That's why I wonder why I've never seen that game here. I've seen it on PS2, but mm-hmm. why I didn't see Because I thought it was a Sega Saturn game, but you're saying it's Dreamcast, and that's probably why I've never seen it here. Yeah, they got it on Dreamcast in in PAL territories and in Japan as well. Um, I think it had to do with just the viability of the Dreamcast as a platform here in the States that just like the Saturn, it did well in Japan. It thrived. So they got a lot more of the experimental games. Mm -hmm. Not only did they get res, but they got games like Sega Gaga and they got, um, gosh, what's the name of that game? I think that they got Ikaruga, Yes, they did. But we didn't get that until GameCube. Oh, so. I love Ikaruga. Oh, that's my heart. Yeah, yeah, because Saturn got Radiant Silver... Uh, Radiant, Silver Gun. Yeah. And then uh, Ikaruga came to Dreamcast. Um, mm-hmm. But oh, I love Treasure. I I really want to do an episode on Treasure. Like, go through some of their games. Um, to the punishment. There's, there's so much there to go through, too. And it's just rich with material but see it's and and i think that's why i feel like nintendo needs to get back with treasure and just bring out a game like i i I miss treasure i want some of their hard games to come back i miss them so much like i have igaruga on my xbox one uh because of 360 and i just fall in love with that game all over like i zone out on that game it's hard as ever, but I love it's, it. It's super difficult. Um, I I do my best to play through. It's arcade style, so it's designed to kick your ass and keep you popping in quarters or, in Japan, the, the 100 yen coins. But um, I, even though it kicks my ass every time, I enjoy the journey. It's just so challenging and so fun. Yeah. Just, it sucks you in. It, uh, yes. So, any, I'm, uh, I'm surprised you haven't played Res though. Um, it's available for PS4, but it's only in VR though. No, it isn't. <gasps> <laughs> I'm glad that I could give you new, good news tonight. Yes. <laughs> so it is VR enhanced, and you can play it in VR. But you can play it the same way people have been playing it on the Dreamcast, PS2. They remastered it for the 360. I don't know if that's available backwards compatible on the one. Um, but, I have to check. Oh, I put it. Um, I played on PS. I played on PS4. I my PS my Xbox One. Um, I need to order another external hard drive. Both of my uh, both of my system because uh, my system is a one terabyte and um, my external is a one terabyte. It's all full. Like oh dang uh, yeah. Your systems are getting lots of love. <laughs> Actually, my PS4 got so much digital stuff uh, over my Xbox One. I'm just like, oh no, wait, I buy more Xbox One than PS4. I'm like, really? Yeah, because I'm going to Final Fantasy 12 right now. Oh, I love that game. I got that in the mail and I started it up and 
I, you know how backlogs get created. You just get distracted mm. or something comes up. This, this got shelved because yeah. um, Tony, I just got distracted. Tony, if you don't preach, if you don't preach right now, <laughs> if you don't preach that get a word. <laughs> yeah, I um um in my Amazon tablet, I had to like literally make a to do uh to do list for my backlog. So my Xbox One got like two pages of uh of them. My PS4 has like four. I'm like, oh, rats. My uh, my Amazon has a a bunch of private wish lists, and it's more for my own personal um, records. All these games that I know are on my backlog, but I don't personally own copies yet. Um, <laughs> let me pull you up because these lists are problematic to say the least. There are lists for 3DS games, the regular DS, the GameCube, the PS2, the PSP, the Vita, the 360. Um, I had to delete out. There was a PS1 list on there, and Lunar 1 and 2 used to be on there. But it is going to be impossible to get a copy of that nowadays. Yeah. Well, actually, if you go to the Salvation Army, I hear the Cali got some good Salvation Armies, and I'm jealous. We we have. Do you guys have Goodwill out where you're at? Yeah, we do. Okay. I wasn't sure how nationwide they were. So I went into a Goodwill one day, and this was the only time I've ever seen video games for sale inside one of those. Um, I saw a sealed copy of, it was like X-Files for PS1, and they were selling it for like $5 or $10. I still have that to this day. I, I never encounter these kinds of things. I always have to, yes. to go freaking outbid people online or stuff like that, which... Admittedly, I'm in an older place. I don't do that as much anymore. <laughs> but God, I wish I could. <laughs> uh, to go back. Actually, my friend is looking for a uh, Buster Groove for PS1. I'm just like, uh, <clears throat> you better bust one this. and two. Uh, just one. Okay, I've never played either one, but people have strong praise for them. Or, um. Nope, nope, I'm confusing it with something else. I've only ever heard strong praise. I've never heard um, bad stuff about it, which I feel is kind of important. you got to be critical of the things that you enjoy. Yes. yes. What's your experience with Buster Groove? Um, I've never played it neither. My friend, she just wants it. Like, I didn't get into rhythm rhythm games uh, until I played, like, Elite Beat Ages. Well, unless you want to call, uh, count Moonwalker for a second Genesis as a, as a music game. Uh, Which game. one? Moonwalker for the Sega Genesis. Oh my gosh. I've seen it. I've seen arcade cabinets for it. I've never actually played it. Uh, I, I played it uh, on arcade. Actually beat it. Um, my brother, he got the Sega Genesis. I was a Nintendo kid. Still them. And, um, he got Moonwalker for one of his games, and I beat the game before he did. <laughs> How'd that make you feel? Uh, he stood there and watched me beat the game. <laughs> so you got the credit roll and everything? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But playing him against Joe, uh, Joe Montana, forget it. I will lose. <laughs> it was like 56-2. <laughs> to I was like, oh, okay, you won. I did beat him once, and he got pissed off and wanted a rematch, and I told him no, and ran out the room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is cold. Just cut him off. <laughs> yes. Um, when he's an actual football player, you kind of be, uh, 
I was just like, <laughs> I'm not about to mess with you because you're heavier than me. I'm, I'm like 87 pounds. You'll throw me like a cheerleader in the air. <laughs> I don't got time for that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, what's your other games? Uh, cause we can go, I love to talking about video games. Uh, and they're just like literally make me, like, let me find a flight to California, find a, find an engagement ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I do have some other games. Um, so it's funny that you mentioned Elite Beat Agents because, um, I also enjoy playing Parappa the Rapper or uh, <gasps> Guitaru Man. That one I never played. You haven't played it? It's by the same people that did Elite Beat Agents. Really? Same ones. And it's available on the PS2 and the PSP. There's a little tiny graphical dip for the PSP, but it's mm-hmm. all there. Okay. Because Parappa oh. the Rapper I played, but I never finished it. Good uh, Guitaru Man. Um, it, I think it just didn't come in my area. Cause sometimes I tell a lot of people, I'm just like, yeah, did you play this game? I was just like, they wasn't selling this game nowhere in Illinois. And I was just like, I don't know where to find it at. Uh, I'm about to try that. Uh, Par- Parappa, the story for that one, uh, it's apparent within the first level or two. Um, Parappa's trying to win the heart of Sunny Funny. I think it's Sunny Funny. His, his girl, Sunny, and he doesn't have the confidence or um, the tools available to him to make him feel confident about himself. And so he's going through all these stages to try and feel better about himself and like a like a better individual. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a really positive story. Sure, it's the boys trying to win the heart of the girl, but he's also on a journey of uh, personal improvement. Guitaru Man is very much the same game except you have more traditional characters you don't have the the dog character who's got a a crush on a flower you've got this boy who's trying to win the heart of a girl he's very shy withdrawn and this almost like bully character comes along Mm -hmm. while he's while uh the main guy in kitaru man is called you one um he's trying to talk to this girl and this bully guy just kind of grabs her by the hand like come on let's go let's let's go hang out over here without him he goes home and he finds out his dog can talk and gives him a guitar and then he goes on this it seems like a radical departure but he goes on to save this other world but everything's almost got that maybe like that wizard of oz element to it where there are characters from the real world that are represented in this other world and he meets a girl like the one in that he had a crush on back home and he has a chance to go after her and go save her. And he, he learns his instrument. He becomes more confident, more self-assured, and he just grows as a person almost overnight. And it's just, it's really uplifting to, to have a game like that, just to see someone overcome a, a small thing in their life is maybe they don't feel that they're good enough or that they're enough of anything. Oh, wow. Oh, now I need to download that game. 
because they have the PS4 remaster of, of Parappa, right? Yeah, they do. Um, I, I don't know if it's physical, though. I, I don't know. I think it might just be digital. I'll have to look. I, I think you're right. It's probably just digital. Otherwise, we would have seen that in stores, like next to the, the Crash Bandicoot trilogy and stuff like that. Ugh, that mess. I beat, <laughs> I beat one and two on PlayStation, and I just need to... Give me a Jack and Dexter remaster. That's what I want. Well, they had the remaster on PS3. Yeah, I want the PS4 one. I, oh, I, I own hear it. You. I own it. Uh, Jack Two is just terrible. <laughs> the I curse hate, of the sequels. Yes, I hate that driving the driving sequence. I'm like these cars. Uh, Naughty Dog. Uh, Jack One is though. Jack and Daster is just amazing though. 100 percent of that game got everything in it. I still have yet to play the original Jack and Daxter on PS2. We have a copy here at home, but I just haven't played it yet. Uh, and that's the one that I beat. That's the one I 100%ed. That's oh, nice. Yeah. I I love me a good platformer. Um, and Mario Odyssey just, I think they kind of overdid with the moves, but I, I want to get like everything or try to get everything. How far are you in Odyssey? Like, um, story-wise. I, I beat it. Okay. I finished the game, uh, but now I'm just going back and collecting the moves. That ending, the challenge that they put forth in there, uh, are, like, are we allowed to talk about that? Is um, this like a spoilery thing? Did you finish it? I did finish it. Yeah, we could talk about it. <laughs> um, As soon as the fight with Bowser began and he got knocked out and he didn't fall into lava or anything that we've seen hundreds of times in the past. Mm-hmm. I just saw him sitting there. I'm like, I know exactly what's about to happen. And even though I, I knew what was going to happen, throwing the hat at him, it was so satisfying to have that brief moment where you got to, to be him and, and get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I laugh hysterically and was cracking up I'm like oh Nintendo you're the greatest like like th- that thing brought me so much joy <laughs> it just seeing just seeing King Cooper with uh that his Mario's mustache I was like literally <laughs> done I'm like I love this uh and didn't even see that coming at all like no one predicted that but uh I actually liked the Barza fight um but like boxing him, and I'm just like, oh, y'all play, y'all someone there play punch out a lot, because <laughs> this is spot, spot on punch out. But yeah, uh, becoming Bowser and like and getting out, I was just like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, and the, Bowser. The one thing. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, Bowser was no joke in this game. Mm-mm. Like I, he. He did not throw any punches. He was out to kick your ass. Yes. Uh, um, that that last moment when you're making the escape with Bowser, I as soon as I saw the collapse Bowser, collapsed Bowser, and I thought, all right, you know, I get to be him. We get to make a run for. I did not expect the eight bit part of it, and just going to the the original side scrolling with the original sprites. Yeah. And then the second I hit, I think it was the B button. And the fireballs came out. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> that good. delivered. I'm like, they thought of everything for this 
tiny moment of the game, and it just delivered. Uh, I, I like the, the the final cut scene where Peach she has finally had an, a, enough of both of them, and Mario <laughs> chasing at them, and the the so Japanese thing that Mario kicked Bowser <laughs> like jumped off Bowser and kicked him, and so he could get further on. I was just <laughs> like, oh my goodness, this is perfect. Like they really thought of everything. I'm I'm really glad that Nintendo seems to be returning to form with the Switch. The Wii U was really rough for them, and there were good games on there, but mm. it just did not catch on like how the Switch seems to be doing. It's, it seems to be doing really well for them. Well, you know what? I, me and my friend was actually talking about this, and I think the Wii U is still successful. I think when people just like, well, third party didn't put nothing on it. I was just like, do you realize that third party was closing a whole bunch of developers? After one game came out, like, like look at EA's track record on how many studios they closed after that studio one uh, came up with one game. I'm like, the PS3 and 360 era, even if you sold a million copies, you were going to get closed. And That's true. And it was just like, I'd rather put a game on Nintendo, let it sell whatever it sells, and still be a company that opens up. That stay open. That's true. They're they're going to be around. They will continue to sell copies. Um, it's funny you mentioned the PS3 and the 360 era because one of EA's studios, the ones that made Dead Space, I thought, sure, the third one wasn't what um, what maybe a lot of audience were hoping for, mm-hmm. but it still delivered a similar experience to the previous two. And then they just got closed. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, they were delivering quality stuff. They weren't, like, half-assing it or anything. Right. What's going on? And, and that's because of EA's fault. Um, I think once the once the CEOs and stuff started thinking about money and having EA implement all this stuff in it, the game just becomes horrible. It just becomes worse. And I think... Um, like even Need for Speed Payback. Looking at some of the reviews, it's getting bad scores. Like Destructoid gave that game a three. I was just oh like, my. "Ooh, wow!" And I don't know what Star Wars is getting. I think we're all people still waiting for the re- reviews for that. But it was just like EA got their their greedy hands in this stuff, and they're going to ruin games and studios are going to end up closing. I think that's why people feel bad for Respawn because Titanfall 3 they're about to make that a loot box central game. They're making a third Titanfall? Yeah, they're making a Titanfall 3. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't even know. I haven't played the first or the second one, but again, it's one of those games that I keep hearing everybody praise. Like They have a lot of fun playing that. Uh, I've heard more of the first one than the second one, but positive all around oh title you have got to play title for all two um it's only 19 bucks it was only 20 dollars actually right now for a physical copy um it has the best first person storyline outside of metroid um, prime um that i've ever played oh i do love prime so if it can hit a mark even that high sign me up i'm on board it's Think of Contra in VR, in a sense. 
And what I mean by that is you have got to move. You can you can stick and hide hide uh, hide around, but when you're jumping in the air, wall running, uh, lining up your aim and shooting down while you're coming down and stuff, and then sliding to go have your titan grab you and just doing all kinds of like you feel like a ninja action star, like it's straight <laughs> contra, and uh, it's it's probably like about seven to eight hours long. Um, but you could actually do it in, in pieces and stuff. And I think you would just have a ball. Is two available on 360 or is that on the one? Um, it's only on, uh, PS4 and Xbox one. Oh, okay. So, I have PS4, so I can get into that then. Yeah. Cause even the, de- I think the deluxe edition, cause I've got the, de- the, uh, deluxe edition. I think even the de- uh, deluxe edition now is like 20 bucks. That's perfect. Let me get through the holidays, and then I might be picking that up. <laughs> get through that. Thank you. Yes. Um. Any other games? Uh. That you that like make you feel good and stuff. There are a lot of games that whether the the story, um, spends its time focusing on good and like positive feelings. Mm-hmm. Um. It, it doesn't always have to focus on that. I can enjoy something with more emotional depth and maybe discomfort. Like, have you played Persona Four? I have it on my <laughs> PS3 and I didn't finish it. I I need to. How far along did you get? So that way, I don't say more than you might want to hear. Uh, maybe or be ready to hear. Maybe six hours in the game. Like I haven't gotten far. Have far you had battles? Yes, I had. Did have battles. Um, but um, I haven't hit my first dungeon yet. Okay, so there's you, and then I imagine you found another character. Yes, the 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 dog looking thing or the big mascot, like the uh, the. Teddy. Teddy, yeah. I've met him. Okay. Um, in the the brief... I say brief because it is a full, long game. Um, it just keeps giving you more and more. It's got, like... It feels like you're doing an entire, like, television series all crammed into one game. You get that kind of development out of it. I, I play Persona 3 at Fest. Which is amazing. That needs a remake. Oh, that game. I put 75 hours in that game. Oh my gosh. I have three, but I have the, the portable version on PSP. I still have not finished it. I'm about as far into that as you are into Persona 4. Oh, you have to get... Yeah, you, yeah. three is... I think three is better than four, but I want to get through four. I, like everybody said, this is the Scooby-Doo gang with a Persona. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it feels like. Yeah. Because I, um, I even st- I, I'm like maybe on the third dungeon for Persona Five, yeah. Because I beat the teacher. Um, I think there was, and some... that's where I stopped. Okay. So, so there you've gotten two dungeons after that. Yeah, because right now um, I'm at like this art student, um, and his. Uh, I guess master or something like that. And I think the master is probably the next person that I have to fight in a dungeon. Okay. 
<laughs> the perfect, <laughs> the perfect teacher. Like, yeah, that teacher's got some problems. I can't even remember if I finished the dungeon or not. Um, I, I got that around the same time that I got Final Fantasy XII, so I didn't get to to fully immerse myself in it. Mm-hmm. There's just so much good stuff coming out this year. <sighs> Do you want to come back on and have a game of the year discussion? Because good night. <laughs> like, and I told everybody that all, I think all three systems this year or four systems, cause uh, 3DS, I want to include, um, I can't really say Vita because I don't own one. And I know there's been a lot of indie games, but like not a lot of new games. Um, but like for the other four systems, there's been a hit games. And big things, like even just starting with the Switch, we had both a Zelda and a Mario in the exact same year. That does not happen anymore. And they're battling it out for a game of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm, with all of the contenders for game of the year, they announced the picks, right? Yeah. So there's, there's Zelda, Mario, Persona 5. What Hor- are the other two? Horizon and PUBG. Okay, I have not played PUBG, but mm-hmm. I have... I have a friend who was going through Horizon as I was going through Breath of the Wild, and we're both kind of like saying the same things to each other about our games, and we're like, are you are you effing with me? Are you playing my game? And you're saying it's this other game? So he seemed beyond impressed with Horizon. So I, I can see why it's a, a contender for Game of the Year this yeah. year. Well. Horizon is good because to me personally it's prehistoric Tomb Raider. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it it I think Breath of the Wild and Horizon does two separate things. Um because I I feel like with Horizon it, there's parts of that game that is still limited. Yes, you do go into some if you want to call them dungeons. Um, and get through a small section and you fight like a little, a boss, or you fight a stronger version of a dinosaur that you're going to fight in the real world. Um, Tomb Raider also does that where you find a hidden dungeon, um, or you hit, you find a, a, a tomb or something and you just solve the puzzle and you get that item. But most of that game for like Tomb Raider is with arrows. Um, you get more arrows than you get ammunition in that game. So it's, you you could go anywhere and explore in Tomb Raider. Uh, just like in Horizon, like you could teleport better in Tomb Raider than Horizon. Um, you both collect resources in both games. Um, at times, they both have some quick time events for some stuff. And there are side missions if you want to do and, you know, like find stuff. And to to complete, um, but you you don't ride a horse or anything or hack anything in Tomb Raider, but, but when you start messing around with the bow and arrow in that game, it feels like Tomb Raider, and and it feels like almost Rise of the Tomb Raider. Oh my gosh, I I had no idea that they had this much in common. Mm-hmm. Because because with Breath of the Wild, um that's more open and you could go where you want to regardless of what resources that you have if you want to go to the fire mountain and die 
that's your priorities. <laughs> like they like they don't stop you. But I but there's stuff in Horizon that I can't get to because I don't have the equipment to get to it, or I don't have so those arrows and stuff. So it's not as open as it looks. They have um, a path that they want you to follow in an order they want to tell you the story. Right. Okay. And I mean, there is side stuff. There is side stuff that's in it, um, a la Far Cry three or four. Um, but I'm like, it, there's just some stuff that's just like too limited. Like with the map and everything, of course you got to get up on that big dinosaur and like hack it, and it'll open up that era. Where with Breath of the Wild is, it's just like you start going to different places and the map start unrevealing itself. That was something I really enjoyed about Breath of the Wild. That sure they they walk you through a couple of shrines at the beginning and they they give you the um oh god what do they call the little floating cloth thing? Oh, the glider. <laughs> the glider. Thank you. Um, but once you get the glider, they're like. Okay, have fun. Go off. Go Bye. go figure this out. Exactly. Like you, you now have all the tools that you need to do anything in the game. I'm just like, oh crap! I feel intimidated by this. <laughs> and it wasn't until after finishing the first area, I picked the Zora area for the first. Yeah, I did too. I, you too? Yes. After finishing that, um, I felt like okay, I've got a sense for what the game's expecting of me, and then everything just like. I feel like I tuned into what I was supposed to do in the game, and then it just took off from there. Before that, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know where to go. Nobody's really telling me anything. But, oh, my God. That first moment of... Did you finish Breath of the Wild? No. I, I have it for Wii U, and I got to do the last Guardian, uh, which is the Fire Temple, the Fire Mountain. I got to get the outfit so I could... Um, uh, be able to so you can go there. up there. Yeah, but I just bought a four switch, so I have to start from the beginning on switch. <laughs> Welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so you have you finished the Zora area? Yes. Okay, so that moment of when you first go in and the prince is like, "You're gonna ride on my back. We're gonna we're gonna take down." Um, I forget what they called the guardian, but like the elephant. So that way yeah. you can get in. Um, I kind of expected that I would be on the ground or whatever, but the fact that it turned into like a rail gun or a rail shooter, um, a rail shooter scene, not unlike, uh, what was it? Like the roller coaster scene in final fantasy seven or yes. much of killer seven, just one of those controlled areas where you got to shoot a bunch of shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> took me by surprise and it it showed me a side of Zelda I didn't know that I wanted or was going to enjoy yeah I, I just feel that Breath of the Wild not only changed uh, open open world games it changed like the whole industry because people were just like I wish you could climb up this thing like you can in Breath of the Wild wish you could like climbing became an important fact a, a mechanic that has been in NES games Atari games from back <laughs> in the day Burger Time has climbing in it like how did that simple mechanic mechanic be like I want this almost in every game I love it I the, I love how prominent and important it is to climb in that game. I'm sure that you can just take all the paths that are 
not quite paved, but mm-hmm. walked over a bunch of times. And sure, you can get to wherever you need, but it is way more fun considering Nintendo gave that that idea of whatever you see, you can get there. If not, it, you have to come. You once once you get a little bit stronger, you get some things you can come back to it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't give up hope. You'll be able to do this at some point. Yes. Um, the mountain that split, uh, where you like, where it feels like, uh, the never ending story in a sense. Wait, which mountain are you talking about? It's the, it's the mountain that, it's the gray mountain that split, that has a path that splits right through it. In Breath of the Wild? In Breath of the Wild, yes. You see oh, it God, from is... a, you see it from a distance. It, 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 it leads you to the first uh, or to the second um, um, tower that you can unlock. But if you look at the distance, it's a big mountain. It's a gray mountain that's split with a path in the middle. I think I remember what you're talking about. I played it back in March, and I'm, for better or worse, I binge played it. So I didn't get to allow it to, sink to really sink in like all of the the locations and maybe some of the subtleties to the game. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a mountain, uh, that little mountain, that mountain, uh, that got a path in it. It, it looks big. And then when you start running through it, you just see how gigantic it is. And I was just like, Oh, I'm gonna climb you. I can't (laughs) wait to climb you. And when you do climb it, you find a shrine on it. There was a shrine at the top of that mountain? Yes, it's the double shrine where uh uh I don't know if I should if I should say anything. Or I, I you... might have conquered this shrine already. It's just it's do, hard for me to remember. Do I have permission? I I'm you have permission. I have permission, yes. Okay, so the clues that the clues for a puzzle that you need for a particular shrine on that mountain is in the other shrine and that oh. shrine's clues is in the shrine that you're in so you have to figure out once you figure out uh once you figure it out and you get that uh you uh, get that piece um that answer is the clue for the other shrine so you got to go back and forth um in a way, yes, if you want to. But if you okay. could rem- if you write the clue down and stuff, or you got the answer, and you remember it, that answer is the clue for that other shrine on the other side of the mountain. I don't remember if I encountered this, but I might have to boot it up tonight and just go conquer these two shrines. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I know this is a long... Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> Oh goodness! Because I, I, Th- I that is a very loaded question. Because <laughs> um, I, I know you said that you had notes and stuff. Um, I think I had some, but we kind of everything that I had written down we we've overlapped onto what I was trying to prepare myself for because I wanted to bring stuff to the table. Well, um, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was I was trying to recall. I. I don't know if I have more, but I'm always open to organic conversation and getting like we have. We've hit damn near every system already, every current system. Yes. Um, Is there anything that you want to ask or 
talk about? Um, yeah, I don't know if you uh uh one of the one of the Twitter followers uh was putting uh put something up about responses that don't make people feel better in depression. So, um, I don't know if you got to read it. I think we're friends with that. I think we follow that one Twitter person. Um, and it was just like responses and stuff. And I think we covered like responses. Um, but what games would you recommend or what would you recommend a person who, uh, a person who's not dealing with depression, how they should react or, and how should they be able to handle, um, also, what game would you recommend for people who are going through depression? Goodness. Um, when it comes to trying to navigate um, the sometimes uncomfortable space when your friend is going through depression, mm-hmm. uh, try to always come from a place within of love and compassion and wanting to understand. You have to have to makes it almost sound obligatory, but you should try to go into the situation with the, um, the realistic expectation that I may not be able to fix this. Um, there may not be a fix to this or solution. All I want to do is help make today easier for tomorrow. Um, when it comes to playing games for depression, uh, I mentioned this earlier. I try to focus on the fact that whatever I'm playing, it's going to be some temporary escapism. I can't rely on this to just, um, help me not have to face whatever I'm going through. Uh, I say, as long as you can go in and have that mindset, try to find a genre or maybe even a franchise that can give you that, that, that ability to immerse yourself and kind of forget about what you had to face that day or week or, or God, God forbid the whole month. Um, again, depression is that inability to feel joy. Just, if you have the energy inside, try and seek out something that you know is tried and true and give you joy, whether it's through nostalgia, revisiting your NES or your SNES, especially in this day and age where we have classics for both. Yes. A, a bit unobtainable for everybody, but that's a separate discussion. <laughs> I have my, I just say. Um, try and find something comfortable familiar so that way you're not withdrawing only from other people if that's something that you're doing but you're also not withdrawing from the things that used to give you pleasure and it may not be it may not always be able to give you that same pleasure Mm -hmm. but hopefully provide a little bit of a momentary distraction um uh, earlier I was talking about Persona 4 you know from playing Persona 3 that they delve into some heavier subjects yes 
Persona 4 doesn't shy away from that, and they're all about confronting um, repressed parts of yourself, um, overcoming parts of yourself that you're, you're holding yourself back from growing, what have you. While that game did something for me, and it made me have that moment, like what you were talking about earlier with Vivi, and he was getting bullied, I was able to identify personal experiences in Persona 4 and that gave me that cathartic moment of like I feel like I'm understood that isn't always for everybody that might even though it might mean something to us it might put somebody else into a a unhelpful situation it might make them feel worse in the end because they weren't ready to confront feelings like that it has to be on your terms Ah, good. Love that. But you, you know what? I cannot re- make a re- recommendation to people who are dealing with depression. Um, if you're able to get a Wii U or even get a Wii, uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn. I think that is a great example of a, a easy title to play and it brings you so much joy and feel good. Because Yoshi, Yoshi's Woody World also. Yoshi's Woody World, I think, will make people just happy. And yeah, Yoshi, Yoshi's Woody World is like pure joy from beginning to end. That soundtrack to that whole game, I literally want on CD. Like, I love that soundtrack to that game. Yeah, it's pure joy. It 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 literally just makes me happy. Uh, like I can see, I can see that that would be a really good recommendation. It's a gentle, safe environment. There is challenge, but it's it doesn't come across as like threatening or uncomfortable for somebody to yes. get into. It's it's so easy to allow yourself to get into a game like that. And you get the cute Yar Yoshi. Oh, there's a so cute. And for the 3DS, music... on, 3DS on the game Poochie. <laughs> oh, I still haven't played the 3DS version. I have the one on Wii U, and I played it beginning to end. I got, I think, damn near everything. And then you get that little bonus level at uh-huh. the end. I didn't finish that. Uh-huh. That was the one that I need to go back and tie up. I, I had to rebuy the game. Somehow my my disc got scratched and it won't oh. let me get past like a certain level. I didn't I it it's been in the box and I don't know how it got scratched. I don't know, I'm just oh. like, oh no. Um now I will say if you feeling if you if you're feeling angry and upset, please play Bayonetta two. And get the get your life with Bayonetta two. It's, it's a little bit difficult, like you said, challenge. But that game is super funny, and it's super fun. It will literally crack you up. Will players feel like they have to have played the first one in order to follow along in the second one? Nope. They literally tell It stands you, on its own. It stands on its own. They literally tell you the whole game, like in the first five minutes of the game, of the first one. It's just like, oh, okay, cool. That is very good to know. I I have the copy on the Wii U where they bundled in number one with number yes. two. <laughs> yes. And I have not finished them yet. And I'm like, well, I kind of want to jump to the second one. And if they're going to tell me everything in the first one, maybe I should just knock that one out yeah. and then then go right into the second one. Yes. 
because the second one they got so many funny parts but the con the comeback in the second one is so good it's just like oh y'all study some martial art films like platinum did a great job with bayonetta 2 and and i think that's why bayonetta 3 and hopefully vanquish 2 uh get announced for switch like it's it's so weird with, Bay- with Bayonetta. I know we're, we're sidetracking. Um, that people didn't want the Bayonetta two on Wii U. They was upset and people was going to boycott it. But it went end up winning the game of the year. And now people feel like Bayonetta is now a Nintendo property. Just only stay <laughs> on the Nintendo system. That's what people feel. It's they're not as what do they call it? They're not a second party developer like Rare used to be for Nintendo. Yes, they can develop for whoever they want. Um, oh gosh, who's the developer of like the the primary creator of Bayonetta? Because he's very vocal on Twitter and he uh, will block somebody in a heartbeat. Hideo uh, Kayama, Kamiya, uh, Kamiya, uh, yes. Kamiya. Um. I remember everybody was like begging, like, can you put this on the Wii U, on the PS3, on like what have you? And he's like, that's not up to me. And he was like very upfront about it. It's like, it's up to the company. They will put it where they want to put it. And like those conversations, I'm not sure if other people are aware, the ones who think that it's an Nintendo property, but that should be the indicator that it can go anywhere from here it can stay with nintendo it might move platforms it, it's it's gonna stay on nintendo because nintendo pay for it everybody you gotta understand what uh exclusivity means if nintendo is funding the game they're gonna keep it on their system they're not gonna put it on, on nobody, nothing else <laughs> did um did platinum announce that they have titles in development for the switch um they're working on something they won't say okay. what it is, but they're working on something. Um, when they were showing the pictures of Bayonetta and they had the blue and red, um, mm-hmm. and then they did it for uh, um, Wonderful 101, they were hinting, uh, people are thinking that Platinum are hinting at that we might get something for Switch from them next year. Or for the next direct, but we don't know what. Um, and pretty much Nintendo and Platinum got such a good relationship that Platinum is willing to work with Nintendo at any time. That is very good news to hear. I did not know that about them. Mm-hmm. I knew they had Wonderful 101. They had um, the port of Bayonetta 1, but Bayonetta 2 on Wii U. I didn't realize they had that strong of a relationship. That's really good to hear. Yeah, because they helped them do Star Fox, uh, Star Fox Zero. Oh, you're right. Yeah, and then that that's why um, Activision like got their exclusive deal, and they brought out Transformers, the Korra game, and um, Ninja Turtles and stuff. Because um, when Bayonetta One came out, and even though it sold well between Xbox 360 and One, um, no, uh, Microsoft or Sony wasn't going to help them publish it or fund a sequel to it. And Sega wasn't going to help to fund it. So when Nintendo stepped in to get that game funded for, exclusively for their system, um, you know, of course Nintendo said, uh, you guys do what you, uh, do what you need to do, which I think Nintendo got, uh, Nintendo helped them edit that game and make sure that things were just right. I think that's why it took so long. Um, and 
that and Bayonetta 2, it got so many, it was a critical success and people were just loving it and talking about it. Um, that's what Activision got, got them attracted. And that's why Square Enix worked with, uh, Platinum because of, with Near Automata. Um, and that's what Microsoft got with them to do Scalebound. Like, like Platinum, people didn't know about Platinum, um, uh, when they first came out, because they were ex uh, ex employees of Capcom with Cloak. Like mm-hmm. after, uh, I think after Okami came out, that's when uh, Okami or that beautiful Joe fighting game that came out. After that, oh, yeah. after one of those came out, Clover got disbanded and Platinum formed from there. And after I... Bay- yeah, after Bayonetta two, Platinum got re- got that recognition, and then that's when everybody started working on them working with them but nintendo uh nintendo made them like a better developer at the band with bayonetta 2 it sounds like they're in good hands right now mm-hmm. well and that i think that's why all um the western third party want to jump on the switch bandwagon because if if they if they didn't all the japanese developers were going to make money off of nintendo because Nelco Bandai made bukus of money with uh with Smash Brothers um for 3DS and Wii U. Uh, mm-hmm. of course Monolith Soft is owned by Nintendo now, but people they they start seeing the praise of Xenoblade Chronicles X and Xenoblade like all these Japanese developers were putting their games on Switch, them companies were making money off of Nintendo. And every time they put their other their, another game on the other platforms, they weren't making nothing. Nobody was buying them. And it's funny that you mentioned the Western developers are starting to gravitate toward the Switch now because this month alone, uh, we've got Doom mm-hmm. on it. Uh, isn't Skyrim supposed to come out this month or Skyrim, did it already? Skyrim is Friday. Oh well, my God. At, the, at the time of this recording, Skyrim is out. Okay. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah! Thank you for pointing that out. I yeah. was not even noticing that the Western developers were coming over. Yeah, cause, I I really hope that helps to switch out. Yeah, because, I mean it's doing well, but yeah, yeah. Because Nicholas is a Western indie uh, indie company, I think, and they've been making money ever since the Wii came out, like with Cave Story and stuff. Um, Konami made bukus of money with Super, Super Bomberman R. Capcom made money with good sales for Ultra Street Fighter 2. Like, um, and then Square Enix, with, they've been making money um, and probably going to make bukus more money once Project uh, Octopath come out because people were just like, this is an RPG that is a must-have. So that's going to give them sales. And I think if they would have brought that uh, Secret of Mana collection over to America, that would have made Square Enix some money. And I think I Am Setsuna even sold on uh, Switch. Like, yeah. Is I Am Setsuna Square Enix? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I did not know that. I've seen it on the shop, but I, I didn't look closer into it. I just knew it was um, a new property. Yeah. And now the Western Third Party, they want some money, but you know, uh like with with E with EA just having this wait to see approach, well A, what a lot of people don't realize is that EA didn't put like what FIFA eighteen, they didn't put enough physical copies in stores. Cool. So that's why they didn't sell well. 
uh, of course it's going to sell Buku and, and UK because they love, they love soccer. Look at last year's E3. <laughs> when they were showing FIFA, wasn't Peter Moore uh, in Europe? He wasn't in America showing that off. Oh my. I can't recall. That was last year, right? Yeah, that was last year. Peter, when they were switching off between America and the uh, U.S., all the people from the U.S., because uh, Fee had just got a show at that show last year. Yeah, EA, EA sent, EA sent uh, about eight or ten copies to stores each for Xbox One, maybe six copies of FIFA 18 for PS4, and only two copies or one copy or no copies at all for Switch at oh retail. Oh, my gosh. And people were, and people were, people have been buying FIFA, uh, but they haven't been buying it for the other systems. People have been buying it for Switch because it's hard to find. I had no idea that they were doing that. Mm-hmm. This whole wait and see approach is not going to benefit them if they don't try. Yeah. Damn. And, and and then they think because of low sales for the Switch, well, you put out low quality quantity. Like Switch didn't get ten FIFA's when FIFA eighteen came out, and people people are blown away. Like even NBA two K, that even made money uh, for uh, for two K. Like people were surprised on how good that game is. They they're not um, talking about graphics and all of this stuff. Yeah, the multiplayer and uh, the hard drive stuff. Yeah, that might be a problem, but people deal with it. As long as it's fun to play. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so. And I don't. If Activision think they're going to get by with just putting uh, Skylanders on it? No. I'm like, y'all. I think if they would have put uh, Call of Duty World War Two on Switch, people would have bought it more. I know it's sold, but no one in my area is playing that game. Yeah, I haven't heard anybody talking about it. Yeah. But that is going to be the show because I know you're probably tired. <laughs> I know you're it's been a full day today. I, uh, on a personal, I almost had to go to jury duty today. <gasps> Out of the blue? <laughs> uh, I was supposed to report Monday, so I called Friday and they're like, we'll call back Tuesday. So I call back Tuesday, call back Wednesday, but call back Wednesday between 11.15 and noon. I'm like, you, you keep me hanging on. Tell me that I'm free from this. <laughs> And I finally got let go. That was, um, aside from this experience, that was the second best experience of the day. Oh, wow. Would you, would you have been scared to go to jury duty or? Um, I wasn't scared per se. I'm open to the experience of serving on a jury and, um, trying to take it objectively and take my, any feelings that I might have out of the equation. Mm-hmm. But any time that I've had to go on in, it's, I think it's been five times now. Uh, I never, I never get far enough along in the selection process to be assigned to a jury. I show up, I'm there for the whole day, and then I get the slip at the end of the day. They're like, "Okay, you can report back to work." I'm like, "Oh, so nothing happened today." I would have been like, "You know what? I'm gonna just go home. <laughs> I go to work <laughs> tomorrow." I would have if I took the day off for jury duty, or my job gave me time off for jury duty. I'm, shoot. They won't know. Like, I got the rest of the week off. I'm getting paid for it. I'm 
just sit back and catch up on some games, <laughs> deal with some things. Uh, and that's usually why I see a lot of uh, people around my age and younger when they're in those waiting rooms. Um, if they get there first, they are sitting by electrical outlets and they they're gaming. They're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Thank you, Nintendo, for the 3DS and 2DS. And thank you, Sony, for PSP and Vitas, if you can find one. Which, <laughs> Sony needs to be drug kicked in their mouth about the Vita. They literally, I feel like they discontinued that uh, system after the first shipment. First or second shipment. It's just like, really? Yeah, they put out the OLED models, and um, I own one of the original models, and it's it's gorgeous to look at, and a joy to play on, but then to try and save money on production, they switched it to an LCD. And I've heard that it, it looks okay. It's, it doesn't have that punch, but that it's good. But even then those are hard to find. Yeah. Actually, I think after when they switched it over, they cut a lot of stores off because toys are rusting and get them. And I think only best buy got them. Maybe some targets in selected areas. But not a lot of stores got them. I'm like, oh, this is not good. The the GameStop that's kind of down the street from me, it uh, not from from home, from my employer. They have, well, they've had in stock the blue ones. And I think they have like orange ones, but the blue ones they've had. And like you were saying, you don't see them anywhere else. Like, I don't think Sony's. Um, they have their heart in trying to get a piece of the mobile market pie. Yeah. They wonder book their thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but everybody, that's going to do it for the show. Um, Tony, would you like to plug anything? Um, you can follow me online on Twitter at Sparky916. Uh, I'm there. I've got my profile unlocked. If you've got any questions about depression and or video games, I'm an open book. Just feel free to hit me up. Yes. Uh, and you guys can follow me on Twitter at that retro code. You can hear more optional opinion on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Google Play Music, or any other podcast apps. Um, you can email the show. I want to hear if any of you guys are dealing with depression or dealing with a friend with depression. And what games you want to recommend or actually play with someone. Because uh, we never even talked about doing co-op games uh, with someone with oh, depression. Yeah. Like, okay, just let everybody know. Do not play new Super Mario Brothers. Just <laughs> literally stay away from that game. Uh, maybe Mario Kart Double Dash. You guys could ride along, pop pop people with red shells, with the blue shell. Do uh, do, do something good with uh, a two player game. Beat them up. Uh, find a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. Uh, wish I they Konami, Konami, bring that back. Uh, Something two-player cooperative, not two-player competitive. Yes. Because <laughs> um, you don't want to make your friend feel bad and killer instinct or stuff like that. So, uh, But thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. Thank you for educating us about depression. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, how do you feel for your first podcast? <laughs> I was a little nervous, mainly just because it was something new, but... Um... After those first couple minutes, I just kind of dialed into to the vibe of the show, and it's been a real pleasure. 
Thank you very much for this opportunity today. You're welcome. And if you have any topic that you want to bring on my show, be like, Eddie, um, I want to talk about this. Can we do a recording? Let me know. Dude, I'll set it all up and we'll go from there. I appreciate that. I will consider that. Yes. So, um, everybody, have a great week. Have a great weekend whenever you hear this uh, episode. Thank you, Tony. And we will see you next time on Optional Opinion. Bye. Bye.